Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk Live, streaming today on Wednesday, the 25th of January. I've pressed all the wrong buttons in all the wrong order. Those of you who've been watching this on YouTube will realise that this is actually the whole thing, including the pre-show. So, uh, you, congratulations. You, because of my ineptitude, you get to see the whole thing, <laughs> um, which is what you would miss uh, ordinarily, uh, unless you're a Patreon supporter or watching on Twitch forever, uh, whatever. But no worries. Uh, but I suppose, what, as I mentioned the word Patreon, I'll quickly put a plug for it in because uh, I've got a button to press that hopefully will bring that up. Why not consider joining us on Patreon? For the price of a cup of coffee, you get ad-free versions of everything that we do. There's also lots of exclusive video. A recent one is uh, another 30 minutes of Osmo's demo that we shot with Gaz and Christoph. There's patches, there's sample downloads, and there's also all the pre-show Sonic Talk stuff that we don't post anywhere else. Uh, if you want to join us before the end of the show and you pick our upper tier, which is still only a couple of cups, cups of coffee a month, you'll get your name over the end credits. Thanks very much for watching. Yes, as I say, um, that's sort of slightly moot, and I must have recorded that when I was in the middle of my cold, which has now nearly left. Anyway, this is the Music Technology Podcast. We talk about all things to do with uh, synthesizers, drum machines, samplers, software, AI, streaming, live production, music production, you know, plugins, basically anything to do with the technology behind the production, the performance and playing of music. So uh, we want to say uh, thank you very much to everybody in the chats. We've got... Uh, people in the IRC. We stream this live to Twitch, to Facebook and to YouTube, so uh, please, wherever you fancy it. And you can find the audio version on wherever you get your podcast. We, uh, I think we go everywhere, so uh, I know a lot of people do listen on audio, which is very kind of them to do so, and sometimes uh, that traverse to work, or maybe... I, we don't do a live audio stream, actually. I don't, I'm not... I, I, that's actually quite hard in a weird way. Just not available. Anyway, let's get on to uh, introducing a few of our guests, or Two of our, our two guests, in fact. We'll start with uh, Mr. Jamie Morden, who is, in fact, Geosynths. Uh, Ge Geosynths, in the office, last time we spoke to you, you were just sort of, you were just about to do your latest EMOM event, which was in uh, Blackpool. Uh, and that went, you did it, and it went all right, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, it was a new venue, um, the Royal British Legion, which uh, I find a little bit challenging to put in my mind, having electronic music in the Royal British Legion. But uh, it, it all went really well. I've got, uh, I had, it was nine acts on. I ran a little bit late with it, um, but it all all worked really well. Uh, the stream came out great. And as I mentioned, you know, I'd used this 4G thing, um, so it was all totally uh, wireless and there wasn't a, a problem. So, yeah, I did that and um, wow. I'm just uh, now sorting out the next one, which is uh, February the 10th. So, uh, Blimey, you're really um, racking them up. James Glue there. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm trying it. I'm trying it just to see what it's like, really. But I, I've got um, three new acts that are coming on that the only concern i've got is if it's going to be the same acts every single month so uh um, but it's yeah, no, it's sure. not um but yeah uh, got that uh, that's really that's for fun that side of things other than that i uh, i'm just kind of working on uh patches at the moment so uh, just yeah for the mini freak little, little mini freak which uh, really does um punch above its weight really uh, i've been very impressed with uh, what i've been able to get out of it so far yeah yeah yeah, it's great fun, I must admit. And that uh, the whole thing that you can use 
oscillator one into oscillator two for these kind of it's almost like you can hijack oscillator two to be more dsp effectively it's really clever mm. and and i know um they've been because obviously since since that came out there's been the, the vst version and you can use right. external audio ins to the vst version to do that processing as well so uh yeah nice uh, that, might, that might come up as a question and of course uh, all your patches and stuff geosynce.com that's where you make your bread and butter and do your everyday stuff so uh excellent Nice to have you, Jamie. And we've also got uh, Mr. Matt Hodson. Uh, maths, maths, maths. Uh, maths. That's three maths. Maths.com. You're looking like you're a, a TED Talk or something about to go on stage. I like your backdrop. If you, this is your new pad. Are you in your new pad? I'm in my new pad. I'm, I'm slowly getting things out of boxes, which um, is long overdue. I need to do something creative. So, um, yeah. No, these are just some up lights behind really but um just yes yeah, I, I won't i'm zoomed in because i don't want to show you the chaos if you zoom out i'm just yeah. <laughs> open boxes there's bits here there's bits there's adapters there's gimbals there's yeah you name it you know it's everywhere i've got i've got things that are trying to be delivered so i can get things working that i keep missing and anyway but i'm getting there what can i say i'm um i needed to drop in for a bit of sanity um nice. chat all things music production with you guys so uh, and i really Excellent. enjoyed that emon by the way it's yeah. really cool um jamie good good stuff and and you nick both of them have been really good so um loving loving what you're doing keep it up well i'm hoping yeah, to persuade you to, to to come along actually matt to the next one if we can make that work that's what i'm that's what i'm i'm counting on well, well not, I'd like I, i'm gonna put i'm gonna make it happen i'm definitely gonna try and make it happen so hopefully we'll get you along. <laughs> um it's interesting isn't it i think um yeah there's, there's just there seems to be a desire to get out there and do a bit more stuff and this idea of just doing you know we do talk a lot about the emon thing but i think that it seems to be a movement that's gaining force and it's really encouraging a lot of people who would not normally come out of their comfort zone of maybe just playing stuff for their own pleasure and, and, and giving the confidence to go, yeah, I could do that. I can make 15 minutes anyway. Uh, so, um, yes. Anyway, uh, Matt, so are you, how is the studio? Are you kind of nearly there or you've still got some way to go? Are you, are you setting up inside yeah. before you go outside or are you, what's the, what's the plan? Oh, someone's just told me to lower my seat, so I'm just going to quickly do that because apparently I'm too high. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm uh, I'm very much at the minute taking over a spare room um, while I'm planning on building a studio in the back garden. That's that is the plan. But um, the price of wood and concrete and steel has gone up tremendously. Yeah. So um, you know, it's it's either that it's actually Nick. To be honest with you, it's like build a garden build a studio in the back garden or have a massive extension on my house. So, you know, it's, it kind of works out about the same price these days or a loft conversion or something like that. So um, I'm not quite sure how to proceed with that. Um, and then the other thing is, of course, is, is the setup of the studio. Anyone who's kind of packed down their studio and then you reset it back up gives you an opportunity to reflect on, you know, how you want things positioned, um, yeah. this time I'm, I'm integrating more lighting and, um, camera setups and stuff like that to do live streaming easier. And some of the reviews that I do for Sonic state as well. So I'm really, uh, it's, it's quite challenging actually, just the kind of logistics of well, it's hard, it's, camera, it's hard enough. Think, it's hard enough without, music. without that. <laughs> Isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, those, those music producers, this goes for all of us on here. 
um, we're, we're producing audio visual content now, you know, in our studio. So you've got to have that audio visual integration. Now it's not just banging out some music and putting it on Instagram. If you want to take it seriously and I'd like to step it up like you guys on YouTube and do more delivery, then you need this kind of decent video, decent cameras, decent lighting for sure. Yeah. I know, I agree. It's it's all become much, uh, you know, all all included, and and in some ways, it's a bit like owning a pub and not having not serving food. You know, it's that sort of you've got to <laughs> maximise your <laughs> maximise your stuff. Even though I'm a big fan of pubs that don't serve food, I'm just about. In fact, I went to our local pub, which is just along the road from the from the uh, the Emon venue that we're using, and there was an Adam and the Ants tribute band on on Friday night. And uh, oh, wow. we were thinking, what on earth? There's only two songs, isn't there? But we counted 11 that we knew. Mm. And they played, they must have played for two hours. And they were about 12. Wicked. But they were great. It was really good. Anyway, that's really got nothing to do with anything. I don't know why I even brought it up. Uh, let's get on some topics, shall we? Because there are, in fact, a few things to say. Um, oh, before I do that, I wanted to actually say, yes, don't forget, um, do come along to our Imam event, uh, which you could get tickets from. Uh, that I've put the YouTube placeholder up, but if you go to bit.ly slash Sonic Imam 2, there's all event details. And also you can a link to if you want to put yourself forward to perform either there or at future ones, because we're planning on doing more. You know, that's the plan. We're trying to get get them in. Anyway, let's, uh, let's have a look and see where we are in terms of... Ah, topics. Hopefully we'll get to a few questions uh, today as well. So if you've got any questions for the panel, just type in the comments, beginning with a capital Q, capital Q, and hopefully that will show up in our massive, uh, fantastic system um, uh, that uh, Wagyu helps administrate. Thank you very much, Wagyu, by the way, for... uh uh, moderating the chat and all of those things very much appreciated and thanks again to Dom for all the back end stuff that he's done as well right uh, so let's get on to a topic so this is uh, SPL Transient Designer yeah interesting so SPL Transient Designer um, let's just take that this is a piece of hardware that many people will probably know in terms of software because uh, you know, they do UA audio, U audio do one. Uh, let me see. I think I might have a video. Uh, have I got one? Yeah, I think I have. Let's just throw. Uh, I'll, I'll put that in there quickly. Um, this looks a bit different, but essentially it's a piece of hardware. With four channels of this, the Mark IV. SPL's transient designer is going to become. And what it does is allow you to change the envelope shape, the transient attack and sort of sustain re slash release volumes by up to sort of 15 dB, so you can really massively shape things. Sustain and match the gain with the output control. Then I can add some punch with the attack. It, I honestly struggle to find demos of this, which is really surprising because it is a night and day scenario transit design. It's also really good on punchy bass lines. You could use it on guitars for attack. You can use it on sort of tight arpeggiated synthesizers for the same sort of thing. This is the hardware version, four channels, which, as I say, um, oh, I've got the button here. I think, yeah, is this is on Gear News. Uh, I think it's around about it's a grand for four channels, but quite often you'd see the hardware used in live situations, particularly for drums like kick and snare and toms. You can really get the transients to poke out there, and it's a very powerful shaping tool. Now, I mean, I'm sure you know not, not many of us are doing live sound and using them for uh, for that purpose, but I guess uh, Chicky might do because he does a lot of live sound. I, I don't know. I wonder whether or not there's something that you've you come across. I mean, I, I can't think of any synths that have got transients designers in them, it's, but but essentially, you know, they are. They can add an awful lot of extra tonal shaping, right? 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think for for drums, it, it makes total sense, especially when you do listen to the software demos. I mean, my only um, times I've sort of used them is when it's part of something like Ozone, where you can bring out those transients. Or I've tried it on a when I'm bussing down the drums, because that's how I do my mixes, like back in the day when we had analog mixers. So the drums go on one bus and um and then you just put them on there but a lot of the time i don't really know what i'm doing if i'm actually making it sound better or worse so um <laughs> um i think it makes a lot of sense like you said for live use um for real drummers um electronic music i don't know it'd be interesting uh, to see what it'd be like on things like arpeggios and uh, so on and bass lines um, it's good it's good on drum machines as well really can shape the tone of those too yeah yeah, I, I think when you when you take it out to sustain element and you get more of a punchy kind of sound, I think that sounds really nice and clean. Um, and then it allows space then for the other instrumentation to, to sort of stand through, but you don't lose too much of, of the, the weight. So I think that would work well. Um, I don't know, can you do similar things really with a decent compressor? Um I'm not, well, I'm not to so a sure. degree, to a, to a degree, you can. In fact, actually, that's something that uh, um, Serenity Wild via Twitch says. I think it's really easy to overdo it with. The thing is, is they're just dealing with the transients, so a compressor will affect a lot more of the signal unless you can maybe get the side chain work. Because this, it's it's a really interesting thing. I know. Uh, I'm guessing you may have experimented with some of this, uh, Matt. Hmm. Yeah, I actually have the plugin. It's not the actual SPL plugin, but it's. I think it's the Native Instruments one, Transient Master. Um, comes with part of Complete, and I use that a heck of a lot, um, mainly on, yeah, kick drums, but also on lead lines and and bass lines. You know, really sort of squelchy bass lines because. Um, sometimes I might be recording stuff and it's just not got enough of that front end to it. So I use that plugin. It's really, really good. Kick drums, awesome on. Um, but equally, using it as well to take away that sustain. Uh, the amount of times actually I've used that as well where I've created a sound and it's just too much in the mix. <coughs> and so um, you only really want the attack. So I have used that. Now, I mean, a 19-inch version of it, I don't think... I really need it beyond what I, you know, beyond what the plugin offers, yeah. and certainly for how much was it a, a grand or something like that? It's a um, grand, yeah. I mean, SPL hardware yeah. is pretty tasty quality, so I mean, it's it not is. getting, it's not sort of low, low grade. It's good quality stuff. XLR and yeah, it, yeah. I, I take your point. It's quality, and and Jamie's right. You might be able to achieve this with a decent um, compressor. You know, opening up that attack time and whacking it through that and seeing seeing what that does. It's impressive, though. I wonder. Wonder actually what's going on under the hood, and how this how this thing actually works. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think. Well, uh, they first released it in '98, and I think they were one of the first because uh, SPL they did these. Uh, they right back in the day they were doing uh, um, high quality uh, in like enhancers, like BBE Sonic Maximizer type thing. Also, sub bass synthesizers. Plus, the thing about this is I think it's probably more useful for people who are mixing live drums because it's essentially a, like a gate and a compressor in the same channel. So, And it's very simple. You just sort of dial it in. So for certain sounds and certain drums, it would definitely make sense to sort of tame them down a bit without compressing the entire thing or bringing up the noise mm. floor or whatever. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I know that... Uh, um, uh, uh, 
transient designers can be used in multiple different ways, as you uh, immediately said. That so yeah. Anyway, Mark the the Mark Four the, the Mark Four uh, Type Two the Type Two the Type Four Mark Two. Yeah, sorry. Go right. Yeah, I was just wondering. I'd be interested in anyone in in the chat rooms, anyone using transient designers in ways we haven't discussed here. You know, not on things with transients so much like drums um, or synths and stuff like that. If anyone is, I'd be interested to know how, how you're applying it. I'm just thinking about how you could misuse these in interesting ways. don't know. I wonder if yeah, it's voltage in it, you know, like CV and see what happens mm. um, uh, if, if it affects anything in terms of, or, or LFOs or something. Um, that'd be uh, oh, see, Yeah, slow LFO, you could create unusual shapes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, that might work. Yeah, right. Uh, great oh, comment here from uh, Red Walks. Nobody has time today for endless sustains. This is the ADHD generation. So <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was kind of interesting. So anyway, um, let's just have a little word from our friends over at uh, uh, Isotope. Baby Audio no, Baby make Audio. creative effects plugins designed to add colour and depth to your mixes. They won Plugin of the Year 2021 in Future Music and Computer Music Magazine, and they were nominated for the SOS Awards two years in a row. Crystalline is an algorithmic reverb plugin inspired by classic 20th century studio reverbs, but offering higher fidelity thanks to 21st century computing power. A reverb plugin with a variety of creative features, such as the ability to tempo sync pre-delay and reverb decay times. You can get 15% off when checking out with the code ST15. And once again, we thank, well, thanks to Dom for the voiceover, inadvertently. I must uh, send him a fee for that because I don't think he meant to actually be, be used every week. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, thank you very much to Baby Audio. Uh, please do uh, support us through supporting them. As we said before, you know, it's, uh, sponsors are harder to come by, so we like to please them where we can. And we do like to make sure that we bring people who are sort of, you know, not trying to sell you betting or, you know, anything out of, out of context. Okay, right, let's have a look, see what's, what we've got. What next oh yeah this is this might be something um close to your heart uh this is the eric since well it should be ah oh, damn it's all going wrong i'm getting it all wrong yes there it is the eric since transit designer mark four no eric since mind phaser this is complex oscillator and this is really the news uh that Erica Sins have taken on Hex Inverters uh, products because they went out. They announced they were going out of business uh, in September, uh, but just due to kind of COVID and supply chain issues. And Erica Sins are going to start taking on some of their stuff, uh, including the Mutant Brain, which is a very highly regarded uh, mini CV, and the Analog Percussion Engine and the Mind Phaser Complex Oscillator. So you'll be able to get those in the future. I think Erica Sins have got quite a tidy. Um, manufacturing system themselves. I think they're based in Lithuania, from what I remember. Uh, I know this is probably more up your street, isn't it? Because I, I don't know if you've got any hex inverter stuff, um, whether or not uh, you're going to be missing them. But uh, I know that the, a lot of their modules are really popular. Yeah, I've got, um, I think I've got the, is it the bass drum that they do? The entity bass drum, I think, is, is them, hex inverter. Um, and do you know what? I, when I saw this news about Erica since taking these on because the first first thing i heard was hex inverter were closing and i was like oh no not another company 
having to close because of, you know, chip shortage and rising fees and that kind of stuff. But then when I saw Erica were taking this on, big fan of Erica, um, as you know, from the Perquons um, uh, yes. drum machine, which, which I absolutely love. Um, seeing them take this on, I thought that was, that was a really, really cool thing, keeping that name going and, and what have you. And I guess... The, the, we've talked about this before, Nick. This, these are trying times for people out there and keeping companies going. And um, I think it's lovely when when a company can step in like this, like Erico, who seem to be doing well, like you say, have got a really tidy kind of manufacturing process and are able to take this on. So I think that's really cool. Um, I think there's a couple that they're immediately doing. There's the kind of MIDI to CV and gate converter yeah. module. And then they've got this mind channels, phase. Th- yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, um, the mind phase, which I'd love. To, I mean, listen to it, it just sounds, sounds ridiculous. Love it. And it's got this weird feedback in it and things like that. So, yeah, I won't mind having a go at that. But uh, sad, sad news. So we, they've, they've gone, haven't they? And um, WMD, they've, they've, they've also gone. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's a couple of shops we've seen close online and in person as well. So I was thinking about I was thinking about you know the future of Eurorack a little bit, and um, and I was just thinking you know what happens when those chips come in again, and everybody's got all. I, I mean, you name it. I bet you've got IntelliGel, TipTop, Make. I bet there's loads of them who have got some amazing designs that are ready to go as soon as those chips come in. Bam. And I wonder if we're going to be suddenly saturated and overloaded with with a choice of many, many new modules happening all at once. And that can be tricky as well for manufacturers because if there's suddenly a lot coming to market at once, then that can't be a good thing as well if there's too much choice like that. you know. So I wonder if they're all getting together and kind of thinking about how they're going to stagger release of particular modules so not to saturate the market when things start going again because that's an mm, important time for them as well. So um, I was just, yeah, just thinking about that one. Well, I think the thing is, is what can often happen is you get lots of back orders and then people, you know, assuming that those back orders will be honoured when you've got the stock is potentially a little dangerous because obviously people might have gone or moved, moved uh, interest into something else or maybe their focus might not be so much on the gear that they were interested in. So, mm. it's, 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 I mean, it sounds it's just like an awful nightmare of juggling. I don't know how hard it is. I mean, uh, Jamie, are you finding that your, you know, that your sound design uh, side of things is affected because people are maybe less able to get the synths that they maybe want your patches for? Um, I wouldn't say I've noticed that too much. Um, I think, if anything, I mean, I, you see, my approach has been just to go full on for um, the past five years, really. So that's when I went self-employed um, doing sound design. So I've just been, you know, I've just kept my head down, really, with it all. Uh, and, you know, even though things did slow down, as we know, I mean, the past sort of six, seven years has been amazing for, for synthesizers coming out. So there hasn't been a shortage of, of synths to work on. Um, granted, the past, like, year, couple of years, there hasn't really been a lot of new ones that have come out. So, But in some ways, that's allowed me to go back to the ones that I've already worked on because generally with me, I'll buy a synth, uh, I'll make volume one 
and that goes towards paying off um you know the synth and overheads of the rent of the office and hmrc and all that business if i can some synths better than others you know it's just the way it is but uh, then volume two volume three that's when I start like earning a bit of a living. So touch wood, I've been okay with it. And I think it's because I've worked on, and I've done 22, 23 different synthesizers uh, that I've made patches wow. for. So, so uh, it's that kind of trickle effect, but you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's a sausage factory. That's, that's the thing. I mean, it's not low, I don't, uh, you know, it's not low quality, but um, it is, you know, I, I rip out a good old sort of 15 patches a day. Um, depending on the complexity. Wow. I mean, that's it. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's interesting. And <clears throat> do you struggle? I've always asked this of everybody who makes patches. How do you name them? Do you uh, do you have oh, a kind it's of... First thing, first thing that comes into my head. So it could be anything. It could be Mr. Green. It could be, you know, anything that pops there. Because you can't just go pad, warm pad number three or anything Strings like four. that. Strings you know? four. <laughs> yeah, strings full. So, yeah, like the old sort of Japanese synthesizers when you first got them in, in the back. But uh, no, it's the first thing that pops into my head. Of course, you do gravitate a little bit to things to do with space and technology. You, you just do. Um, but it all depends as well on how how long you're allowed to name your actual patch because some of them, you know, you've got mm. eight characters and that's it. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of generally uh, how I think about it. But but this sort of thing, I mean, modular. I'm kind of I've got like a a, a bit of a case, but it's all sort of low cost, and probably the the most expensive stuff I've got is a bit of the Maleco things. This kind of thing scares me to death. Um, it's like the next level, or maybe even the level above that of complexity. Um, that my mind would just like steam would be coming at me as trying to figure this thing out. Um, but it's amazing what people like maths um, can do with uh, this sort of stuff. I, I'm certainly more aware of it over the past few years. And, you know, that kind of cliche of bleeps and bloops, that's, that's gone. The amount of things that people are producing with, with um, modular. I mean, like at your event, your EMOM event, the, the, the last two guys, um, the sounds that were coming out of that PA was just blowing my mind. It was like, mm. I have not heard these before, um, you know, mm. and um, it just, it was just a, a kind of different sort of sonic world. And, uh, uh, but I think there is that barrier of getting into it as well as financial barrier as well. So, um, I mean, taking what Matt was saying about, you know, all, all these ones that may come out at the same time, but, as we know, some of these mod modules are very expensive, uh, relatively. So um, maybe there there will be a bit of a trickle of those. But uh, yeah, this this is really Matt's territory, um, mm. not necessarily mine. Oh, I, I think it. it's. I I think it's interesting that because one thing because we went to see we went to Breeze Block Beats in Froome on the, the Saturday. Those of you who are Patreoners will have seen the little video I posted up from there. And there were you know there were lots of experimental stuff. And Gaz went to play, and Gaz had a really you know had two cases. He had quite a lot of stuff, and he was so enthusiastic about the process of what was what the things were doing. Uh, mm. It was really interesting, and that, I mean, and I think it depends because there. I think Matt, what, one advantage you've got is, you know, you you you're into the process, but you also uh, are mindful of the, what actually comes out of the audio outputs as well. There's a there's a sort of sense, you know, you you, you ha to to retain yeah. a musical musicality 
and not get lost in the midst of what is possible or what a nifty function is is very difficult it takes a certain amount of self-discipline i would imagine or having a lot of time to explore it and go okay I'll look at that feature some other time. At this point, this is what's going to do the thing for me. So I think there's a real skill there. And it's not, it isn't for everybody. And a lot of people use modular because of the process and they enjoy the process. And I think that's totally fine, obviously. I mean, there's no, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Lots of people make music and are into music technology, again, just because they like designing workflows or doing whatever. They're not necessarily all that bothered about releasing tracks and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I yeah. mean, yeah. I don't know. Do, 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 you right, find, do you find you have to... Do you have to catch yourself sometimes and think, actually, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. I need to be a bit disciplined. Or do you just let it wash over you and your instinct guides you through? A little bit. At the end of the day, it's always the musical output. And then I kind of reverse engineer stuff. So I'm, I'm uh, yeah, and I've had a few people comment on this, that I'm not that kind of modular purist like some other modular users out there who, you know, use a lot of sample and hold and things like that. I don't. I don't do that. What I do is kind of reverse engineer sounds. I kind of go, I really like the sound of this big fat um, synth sound. How can I revert? How can I make that in modular? Oh, well, I take a couple of modules, put them in stereo, do some FM. Wicked. That I've got a really nice bass sound then, you know, and then your kicks and your drums. And then I want to make something really musical with it rather than something a bit more random. I love random stuff. I love gener gener generative stuff. I love playing around with sequences that have got those functions in it, but the musical direction that I've gone in, I suppose, is I make tracks and I like to be able to reproduce those tracks. And uh, this is actually, I'm going to be doing a video on this soon, actually, about this uh, idea of making music with modular and then repeating it. And how do you do that? Or is module all about, about sort of making music in the moment and then that's it, it's gone? Well, for me, I like to rock up at a venue and play tracks that I made two or three years ago. So I've got a method for that about how I can exactly get the same notes coming out, um, not necessarily the same sounds, um, and and perform that live. And it, and it must be a live performance aspect for me. So... Um, yeah, you know, and I've, I've just like I'm just designing a little skiff now um, for another live for doing live stuff. You know, if I do make it down to your event on the 11th about what I'm using there, and 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 the, and the starting blocks are always well sequencer, drums, big fat bass lines, and some effects, and um, and that's it. and the sequences, of course. You know, once you've got the notes in there, they're there forever. And um, if I, two years down the line, I want to play that song again, all I've got to do is kick those notes out to some oscillators, might be different oscillators, but it's the same song. It's the same arrangement if I want it to be. Um, and for me as a performer, what's fun is that I'm sending them out to now different oscillators and I'm, oh, actually, this sits a bit differently in the mix. So from a, from a it's kind of new for me and it's new, new for the audience as well. It's... It's almost like being in a band where you get up and play your songs you've been playing for 20 years and then you get up and play them and you play them a little bit different or you've got a, a Fender jazz bass this time and you haven't and you had a different bass last time. Um, I'll go into it more in, in videos but mm. um, but I think Jamie's right there's a lot of musicality now coming out of modular and uh, it's becoming easier to do so but I, I must admit Nick there's times where I'm just like I just want to make complete random stuff um, uh, as well. I do I do, do that as well. It's and interesting. I, I, 
Yeah, sorry, go, sorry, go yeah, ahead. The, the, last thing, the last thing is, of course, I'm sat here now thinking about there's, um, getting one of these Atlantis metro- uh, by um, Intelligel, which you reviewed. In oh, fact, I was just watching I've your review one, yeah. before the show to, uh, to kind of make my mind up about whether I want to buy it. And, of course, I've, I've got an SH-101, and I'm thinking, well, do I need one also in the modular world? When you know you've, I've got that external, but would that help me if I turned up at a gig and it's in a rack and I don't need to carry my SH one hundred and one and all that sort of stuff? So there's that to consider as well. Mm. Yeah, I well, think the well, Atlantis is, an, is a nice one. Sorry, go go, Jane. I was just going to add on. Really, I mean, you know, about the performance aspect of it. Um, you know, performance isn't just about playing notes, is it? It's that whole, um, you know, changing of tone and, and colour over time. But I think there still needs to be a, an element of jeopardy, um, you know, that things can go wrong, to, you know, to make it interesting for yourself as well. So I would have thought that's probably maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe Matt can kind of answer, when you're sort of performing live, uh, it can be very easy to turn the wrong knob. <laughs> And, uh, you know, yeah. your picture and your oscillate is going all over the shop or, or whatever like that. I mean, do you sort of con- contain it to um, changing a, of the timbre uh, over time or do you do things that totally surprise you with pitch and things like that? No, I do you know what I do, mate? I pull the pitch knobs off so <laughs> they're harder to see and get hold of. Because and that that was something I picked up from an old mate of mine, Phil. He he did it on his, and it, it, all these knobs be pulled off on his modules. I'm like, why? He's like, because if I'm playing live, I'll just go for the the pitch sometimes, and I'll be like, why did I do that? And the last thing you want is things going out of tune. So no, I'll never leave that alone. The things that I do play a, a lot with is open and closing filters, octave switching on on um oscillators brilliant i just love that but especially when it goes through a delay and you get sort of thing um envelope shapes always playing with attack decay um pretty much just ad envelopes keep it nice and simple and uh you know you don't really need sustain if you've got the decay open long enough you get the same kind of thing going on and um that affects affects sends and and filtering on the on the main bus they're the main things and and that is enough that is enough over time yes i may change um some of the oscillator shapes you know bit of pulse width changing send an, an mm-hmm. a slow lfo into things to make things move a little bit but that's it i mean there's there's got to be a point as well where you're like i think i'm doing enough <coughs> before it gets too complicated and then of of course, yeah, it can be detrimental to playing live if you've got too many, too many options, too many knobs to play with. So, um, well, I think you can also, you can lose, you can lose, you can lose yourself a little bit, can't you? So you could, yeah. you feel because you can, you should, whereas sometimes it's better not to, you know, you might be yeah. maybe that where I am at the moment can live for a little while and I could work on something else that's maybe on top of that. I think the thing I miss about most stuff, and you don't do this so much, Matt, is it modular, you know, some sort of musical input so there is some form of melody or top line i find without that i find it quite easy to lose interest and whether that top line could also be just the bass line if it's melodic it doesn't matter you know just some sort of melodic thing for me to hang on to is something that appeals to my, mm. my nature i see you know because i see generative stuff and i know uh, richard devine's always posting stuff and his stuff is really clever but it, it doesn't do anything for me 
you know, uh, musically, it's not my it's not my thing. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just for me, I don't get any kind of emotional connection. And I think it's important as a listener for me to be able to do that or whether it's a consistent rhythmic thing that I just kind of go, oh, that's nice. It makes me want to tap my foot because quite often that might get changed and it's like, oh, I'm, it's gone now. Yeah. You know, the, the underpinning. The, the other end, or the, yeah, the, I, I totally agree. Sorry to interrupt. The uh, I think my internet's a bit laggy today, so I don't know if I'm interrupting. Sorry. Um, and then you go the other end, of course, which is the ambient route, which I love doing. But then you hear a lot of the same thing where, yeah, yeah, you know, I love my big reverb. So do you, Nick. And um, I think uh, you can get a bit fed up where someone just puts a massive reverb on something and it's there for the whole thing. And that's pretty much what all shimmer verb. And that's all you're listening to as well. Um, so that that can get as tiresome as that kind of music as well, where it's a little bit more erratic as well. So you've got two extremes there. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, each, each to all own. to their own. You know, everybody, each to yeah. their own, exactly. Uh, let's see. I just wanted to say, I'm uh, sorry about this. The uh, YouTube comments are not being picked up today. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but uh, yeah, I need to get in there and figure out why that is, but I can't obviously do that while I'm doing this. <laughs> so that's not uh, that's not going to be a thing. Uh, this is an interesting one, I think. Anyway, so let's uh, let's get on to it. And, and we're, we're going with a vid... Uh, actually, you know, I should probably do um, a word from our friends over at Isotope, which is going to be Isotope isotope this time isotope's ozone 10 is the future of mastering the new version includes the master assistant which matches your master to any reference file the advanced version includes a stabilizer module adding mixed clarity with an intelligent and adaptive mastering eq and an impact module which enhances the rhythm by controlling micro dynamics don't forget, you can use the code SONIC10, that's SONIC10, at isotope.com forward slash SONICTALK to save an additional 10% off any one-off software purchase. That's SONIC10 at isotope.com forward slash SONICTALK. And of course, we very much appreciate their support. Uh, it's well, uh, well... well what can I say? We very much appreciate all our sponsors. It's very help, very helpful these days. Uh, okay, so uh, let's get on to uh, this. Was the topic I was going to go for? Now, uh, hopefully, this is going to work, and I'm not going to look like a, a chump. Okay, so uh, hello. We're here at Tokyo. We're at Harajuku, uh, which is. I'm pretty sure there's a Gwen Stefani song, which is called Harajuku Girls. So anyway. And this is the famous... I'll fast forward this. This was us in Tokyo, straight off the plane. Uh, this is 5G. Uh, now, the reason this is here, really, is because um, there's a great article on uh, Gear, uh, Gear News. Um, uh, no, I'm just trying to find the name of the chap. I think it was Adam... I did write Adam Douglas, who actually lives in Japan, so buying synthesizers from Japan. And it's just an interesting kind of take on how how uh, one might discover, you know, bargains in different countries and then bring them in. I mean, obviously, it's easy for him. He lives in Japan, so he could buy all the bargains. Doesn't have to worry about shipping, doesn't have to worry about import duty. But he has made some interesting points. Uh, um, it's, you know, certainly in Japan, the, the, the quality seems to be very high. The low prices uh, also, uh, they're often immaculately clean, although there are a lot which are immaculately smoke covered and almost look like they've been had smoke breathed on them directly for years i mean there's some there's also that as well but um 
uh, yeah, we five G there a couple of cents there that literally just looked like they were coated in nicotine. It's kind of quite, which is a thing. It looks kind of interesting, gives it a certain amount of character. Um, but uh, this, I just thought it was an interesting thing, really. And it kind of uh, another thing he says: you stick to Japanese brands, uh, look for unfashionable gear, and buy broken. Which I suppose are truisms that would happen across the place. If you if you've got the ability to fix them, then it would certainly take about it. I'm just wondering, you know, how far you would go for a bargain if. If it was the thing you really, really had to have, you know, I suppose. I mean, sometimes mm. you must have been, a, you, you're a man who enjoys buying synthesizers, Jamie. I'm sure. How far have you gone to get a particular thing? Well, I've not left the country, though I did go down. Um, where did I go? <laughs> it was, I think it was Bournemouth. And it was to pick up a DX9 that had no side caps. <laughs> For fifteen pounds, wow. and I have no idea why I did it. It was just something, uh, uh, you know, to fill in a bit of time. And it turned out the fellow—I can't remember his name—but he actually uh, fixes equipment for. Uh, uh, he had uh, Adrian Utley's Mini Moog there at the time, so I had a bit of a play on Adrian Utley's uh, Mini Moog. He doesn't know, but um, but he was a fascinating fella. Uh, but that's that's about it for. Um, I mean, vintage gear. I don't really do a lot of these days, mainly because there's been so much good stuff that's come out. And of course, what I do is you know sound design. So um, I still got a couple of bits. Uh, I got a, a JX three P. Um, still got my old Roland D10, which was my first ever synth. That I oh, good man. I, I had a DX. I've still, got my, I've still got my D110, actually, yeah. Yeah, I had a DX7 Mark II. That was, I had it for two weeks, so I took it back because I had no idea what I was doing with it. And um, and if it was in front of me, it probably would still be the same. But uh, I took it back <laughs> and I got my Roland D10, which uh, I still had. 1989, I think I bought it. But I got... Um, a Cheetah MS6, which I got for £100 from Cash Converters, and, and it had one wobbly voice on it. It sounded like an LFO was connected to the pitch constantly. And um, I changed the voice, and it still did it. I sent it off to one guy, and um, because there was a power supply issue, as in you touched it and you got 120 volts through you. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up yeah, to go to somebody else. So it, it turned out being about £400 to get it fixed. Um, so nice. It had Curtis filters, didn't it? I, cur- I, I oh, remember it had 3340s. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I had one of those. I, I sent, I sent it off for repair, and it never came back, which was very oh, disappointing. I've actually got one. I've got one here, but it's again, it's one of those synthesizers that actually the parameter axis. It's a three-character display, and it does hexadecimal, but it does them in. It, it quite often goes from FF down to zero rather than zero up to it. It's like an absolute, you know, because yeah. it's also six-part multi-timbral. I mean, it's astonishingly it well is. specified internally. It's just an absolutely horrible, horrible uh, UI. At one, there is no UI. It's not really that. No, no. I mean, I've got some chip that's in it, and you can use um, what is it? Controller. Somebody did a panel for it, so um, it will work a little bit with it. So I've been able to make some sounds, but other than that, no. um, I've not got. I've got not gone to Japan or anything like that. Though I'm rather envious of that. If you've been over there, that must be really good. Um, it was it was great. I mean, it was really bizarre because we literally we landed after thirty hours of travel at I don't know nine in the morning. We went because we were uh, we went over um, Yamaha very kindly brought us over because they were doing um, 
I can't remember what it was. They were doing a big sort of event and they wanted some extra coverage and we just went, yeah, of course we will. Of course we'll go. <laughs> and and we literally got there. They were still filming. So we said, where's 5G? And so we'd been up for 30 hours. Then we went on the train and just went there and we went there and filmed it. Mm. And it was um, astonishing that actually, you know, anything was recorded and the audio didn't cock up or anything. And it was bizarre. I remember walking, so we walked in, um, I think it's in the video, we walked in and the, the lift opens. A guy comes out and goes, hey, Nick. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, <laughs> this really blew my mind. I mean, I suppose if I'm going to yeah. see anybody who knows my face, it's going to be somewhere like that. But it was at the time that uh, the Rugby World Cup was on. So he was an Australian who was over for the Rugby World Cup, as were many of the people that were travelling at the same time. And he just, because he was into synth as well, he, he was having a look at 5G while he was there and sort of combining his two passions. But, yeah, it was a great... Uh, Really, did you, a did you buy place. No, we didn't. There was no. To be honest, I was so out of it. I think if I had actually bought something, I wouldn't have known what I was doing, and also getting it back because I mean, I'd have had to, sh I'd have had to ship it back. I wouldn't be able to carry it because we only had limited amount of luggage space, and so yeah. yeah, no, I didn't. But there were, I mean, there are some bargains to be had for sure. I mean, five G probably one of the more expensive places because it's so well known. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think if I'd have been you, mate, I would have ditched all my socks and underpants and I'd have stuck to, <laughs> stuck a RE, RE uh, Space Echo in my bag instead and brought that home, you know. <laughs> but it uh, looked like there was, it was a good price. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe I mean the, the, it was it was a really it was like a pilgrimage, really, and it was just such a wonderful experience to go and see it. I mean, I think it was partly made otherworldly by the fact that um, I was so out of it, uh, and you know it was yeah because uh, you know, that that sort of jet lag is really bonkers. But bizarrely, the rest of the trip because yeah. we ended up staying up. We we because we were waiting for the people at Yamaha to to get the train from Tokyo where we landed down to. Her, uh, down to uh, Hamamatsu, which is about three or four hundred miles away. So by the time we got to our hotels, it was about midnight that night, and we'd been up the whole time. And I fell asleep, and I slept for eight hours, and I woke up, and I had no jet lag the rest of the trip. It was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I really did no, not no. expect that, but I would recommend a trip to Japan for anybody who's considering it because it is a very interesting country to go. And I'd like, I'd like to go. I think it's a very interesting place very culturally interesting place and of course you've got these magic shops laying around like this and i know there's a lot of artists out um who who go out there every year um and doing some really interesting things with technology and there's leaps and bounds going on there particularly with things like robots and ai and, and things like that i know a lot of electronic artists that, that go out there to work with people and um I, I did know uh, about someone as well who used to actually bring a lot of stuff over from Japan, a lot of SH-101s and stuff, take them to the local repair, repair guy, get them fixed up, spray them and sell them for a lot of money. But um, I think the repair guy cottoned on what was going on and realised he was getting a short end of the stick um, and so he started doing it himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Quite out the minimum, I mean, so, yeah, I think is, the thing is, but, but ship, shipping money, doesn't it? Yeah, it's you shipping know, things it, is it, risky. I mean, we bought we bought yeah. a, a Suzuki the Suzuki um, Koto thing. I can't remember what it's called now, and that came via eBay from Japan, and it didn't show up for for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Andy was sort of going, uh, "Where? What's going on?" And he said, "No, I've sent it. I've sent it." And it's like, mm, "Have you? Where's the proof?" Oh, I don't know. I can't find it. And then it just showed up. 
<laughs> it was like, there it is. So, I mean, Wicked. it can be a bit of a lottery and obviously you're not terribly protected in those situations. I mean, there are some places, you know, I mean, you get eBay seller protection, but that's not so much the point. It's still a very long protracted thing. Oh, I it mean, is. Shipping, yeah, things yeah. shipping things internationally is expensive and complicated. I mean, as we know, particularly in Brexit Britain, which means you have to pay additional duties and VATs mm. and things. So it does get kind of expensive. And I know certainly in America, there was a... Um, not so much now, but uh, a few years back, there was a lot of import duties put on uh, things with electronic components in. And so it really mm. kind of all that stuff is complicated, but it's that dream, isn't it? I mean, it's like, it's almost if you go, imagine going somewhere, it's like going into space and you end up on a planet which is full of the most amazing instruments and synthesizers, but you've only got like a tiny little spaceship to get back. There's sometimes there's nothing you could do. You've just got to enjoy it while you're there. Mm. You know, sometimes it's not practical it's likely to cost you a little bit more but you know there are ways and means i think you know people bringing things back in their hand luggage you know smaller things and maybe that that's what we'll see we'll see the proliferation of smaller desktop <laughs> units coming to and fro maybe that's what will happen um to a degree it's, i don't know i mean it's, um, it's also you know some people are just in this just to make money from from mm. these kind of things which is if that's what you're doing, then that's what you're doing. But, you know, I, I don't really tend to buy stuff with the thought of, oh, I'm going to make a load of money on this and then I can just I can just flog it. Um, and I was think I was actually wondering um, recently about, you know, we when Behringer was releasing and announcing like the SH-101 clone and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, I was wondering if we was going to see the prices of SH-101s come down because essentially you could get one from Behringer. Yes, it's not, it's not hundred percent the same, I'm not going there, but it's close enough. And I did wonder if we was going to see a change in the market, but I don't think we have, maybe Jamie knows more of this than I do, but I don't think we've seen those prices come down on, on those clones, the originals, have we? I would, I, no, I've um, not really seen much of that. I mean, you only need to look as well at things like, you know, when they launched the Model D and at the time um, Moog stopped doing their Model D remake. But, of course, now they've, they've brought it back out and it costs even more. So, um, you know, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think um, uh, because you don't have all the rest of it. You don't have the history. You don't have the keyboard. You don't have all these kind of functions. Yeah. I think we're all guilty of, of um, falling for the spec sheet thing. Like the more on the spec sheet, the better it must be. But in reality, you know, mm. um, having something made by the actual original manufacturer is, is, is sometimes a little bit better. That's so, funny, you know, it? it's, it's great uh, that there's, there's choice for people to have access to like some physical hardware. And plus as well, if you do go out and perform live, it's better to take out a boundary at MS1 <laughs> than, you know, maybe oh, the yeah. original. So, um, you know, so there's that. Absolutely. And I know some people are really hoarding modules from uh, makers who have gone under and, and oh, thinking, you know, these are the... Yeah, these these are the this is the money of the future, and people are kind of think I'm not selling this because that company doesn't exist anymore. And there are modules like that. You know, there was the QMMG by Make Noise, which uh, was these kind of four vectoral low pass gate, and they stopped doing them. I, I had one. I bought one uh, off a mate of mine. I actually I wasn't that interested. I didn't. I used it for a bit and and sold it for the price that I got it for. But they go for thousands now. In the same way that Schwayman, sadly, we lost um, the founder of Schwayman, Mayo, and um, all of their modules have gone up 
crazy, crazy prices as well. So in the module market, we're starting to see early days of particular modules and manufacturer ones that are very desirable, people hanging on to as a golden nest egg for the future. Um, yeah, I guess not so. me. Yeah. It's tricky, though, with well, prices um, at the moment. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, well, no, that, everything's just, go, everything is going up massively, isn't it? I mean, yeah, 30% yeah, yeah. is I a mean, standard increase. I've just um, uh, ordered the Trigon 6. And um, when you, you look at what the Profit 6 and OB6 prices are now, compared to when I bought them new, um, when they were sort of first out, I mean, it, you, it kind of irks you a little bit that you're paying that lot extra for, for what? <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I can't I can't gauge prices at the moment. They just don't, they seem a little bit unreal, um, especially when some cents haven't really gone up much as well over the past couple of years. So, uh, yeah. <coughs> yeah, it's interesting. I was, uh, um, I, I just did the uh, Dreadbox Hades reissue uh, review, mm. and uh, that's 349 quid, 399 US dollars, but 292 euros. So if you're in mm. Euroland, you're getting a bargain because it's made in Europe or, or, or constructed in Europe. So you, you're not paying any of that shipping duty and cross-border stuff. So those are the sort of, mm. that's where the prices are getting uh, up a little bit. But that's just economics and we're in a, a weird world when it comes to that. Um, I thought we might do a few questions because we've got a few. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and we haven't done any for... This one's going to be quick from John Van Eaton. Uh, this is uh, for you, Jamie. Does that DX7 Mark II have a stereo out? <laughs> <laughs> did oh, it? God. it? I it, think they did, oh, didn't they? It was so long ago. Uh, it had a noisy out, as I remember, but um, it was two DX7s in one, as I remember. And it had a, I'm sure it had a floppy disk, but I had it for two weeks, no manual. And I had no idea what it was doing. Ah, uh, um, you had the FD. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, it was... DX7 um, Mark II FD. I remember it well. That's right, yeah. I'd, I'd sold my decks, my vinyl decks, and... Um, uh, I've done six months of extra shifts in the casino because I used to work in the casino. And um, and then that was it. Uh, I stuck my money down on that. And uh, in fact, I had to put put in a Casio drum machine, RZ1, um, to get some money as well with them. But I just oh, nah, went back and then, yeah, the D10, that was much better. In hindsight. Yeah, you know. well, it was a multi-temporality, wasn't it? It was a big enabler. That that whole generation of Roland uh, started M32, the M the MT32 and the D110 and the D10. They were really big enablers. And the W30. I think mm. that that whole strata of keyboards launched a lot of people's careers just because it was then it, you were able to create these multi-timbal arrangements in real time without having to have all of that stuff and multi-tracking. And it really spoke to the, the 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 emergence of the new MIDI, which was obviously something that mm. we've had since then. But I mean, you know, to be able to do all of that stuff in real time, I mean, that was just. I think it's it's probably a bit underestimated that you know because those those early mm. multi timbral synthesizers were hugely influential. I mean, that's why I started. They were. I started yeah. with D110 yeah. Yeah, as well, and and I and I had an MS6 too, uh, as I said. But, uh, okay, uh, let's get on to another one. Um, uh, okay, here's a here's a good one. This is uh, from uh, Ian. Let's see, this is via Wagyu, but it's for Ian McCurran YouTube because our links. What's your best synth audio bargain? I once got a Yamaha CS40M for sixty quid. 
Oh, my goodness. And an SCI Pro one for £450 with a Juno 106 throw. I'd like to know where you're finding that stuff, uh, Ian, uh, because that is a real bargain. My best bargain was um, I had an SQ10, a Korg SQ10, the original sequencer, and an MS50. I've, I'm sure I've told this before. Um, and I swapped it with a guy... Oh, no, hold on, wait a minute. No, I had a Pro Tools rig. That's right, I had a Pro Tools rig, and I wanted... Uh, it was a four-channel Pro Tools rig, and it was, you know, old, new bus, ages ago, and but they were still quite hard to find. And I swapped it with a guy from uh, Lyon, and he sold me... So, and, and for those who don't know, in Lyon in France, uh, there was used to be a Korg factory down there. So what I got, I thought I'd bought an MS-20. I got an MS-20, an, S an MS-50 and an SQ-10 all arrived in return for my out-of-date Pro Tools rig. Go figure. That's the best deal I ever got, but that was a, that was a, a, a bargain. Matt, oh, who's this? Check, this is the new addition to the studio. And guess this is Juno. <laughs> is that a lurcher? Is that a lurcher? It is a lurcher. Yeah. Um, Appropriately named Juno. Um, nice. Probably my best bargain. How many voices has he got? <laughs> Enough. One, yeah. one really Dead loud. Off. Yeah, one really loud. Um, no, best, best, one that, best one that I ever got was uh, Charity Shop Farm Cash Converters, Juno 106. Juno 106 which uh, they were selling really cheap because it was a bit wobbly. Got it home, swapped out the battery, job done. Um, yeah, that was probably my first proper poly synth. Loved that one. Uh, sold it because I just thought they were everywhere, really. I didn't think they were that rare at the time still. And that was like... That was probably like 10, 15 years ago now as well. So, um, and I think I only sold it for like 300 quid. Someone turned up my house. Wow. I even remember the look on their face as they walked out the door with it under their arm. As, and they had this look as they looked at me as if to say, did I just get this for 300 quid? And I was thinking, mm, did I just undersell this? Mm. Whoops. Yeah. Ouch. I've got a Juno 106, but it's very poorly, actually. Um, again, it's another synth I've had since the early days. It was the first poly I think I bought that, uh, that was a synth rather than a multi-timbre unit. Uh, yeah, so, Jamie, how about yourself? Um, it was probably uh, car boot, you know, back in the time when um, you, you couldn't find anything on the internet. <laughs> there was no mobile phones. So it was a Casio CZ5000 for £35. Um, at the car boot so and i sold it i think it was about 380 pounds or something um this nice has got to be late 90s yeah um though to me it just sounded all every sound sounded the same on it so i don't even know if it was broken or not but because it was some form of phase modulation or something the cz range uh, yeah phase distortion uh, phase, yeah something like that um yeah but yeah, that that was that. Uh, I used to. Uh, it was like um, uh, someone I know used to do one every single Sunday. So I said to her, "Oh, if you ever see a keyboard and it had synthesizer or something like that, give me a call." <laughs> so, uh, yeah. uh, but that's what I got. Uh, there was that. I mean, there's been a few others, but um, uh, I did get a, a TB three hundred three um, for a hundred pounds, and that that was in one of the ads in. Well, the music technology, I think it was. But uh, that was in the 90s. And it sat in a box for 
three years because I had no idea how to use it. And of course, like I say, pre-internet and all that sort of stuff. So sold it to my mate for 150 quid. Oh, what? Yeah, well, we've we've all yeah those 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 ones we've yeah. all had that yes. one as well. Yeah, I, 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 I've still I've still yeah. Well, anyway, I don't think interesting I, story I, about selling. I... Oh sorry. right, sorry, yeah. my, my internet's a bit laggy again. Um, in, interesting story about selling stuff as well is um, I had a Korg the Vocoder VC10, I think it is, and uh, I. I put that, I think, in uh, Friday ads or something. Met the guy at um, train station in London, <laughs> Victoria, and we sat there having a cup of tea, and he was checking it out, and we got talking and stuff, and he, I didn't realize he was one of the guys from Solwax. And um, and then I remember reading, he was in an, in an interview with them a couple of years later in a Sound on Sound magazine, I think, and they were talking about this VC10 they bought off me. And they were like, oh, yeah, I bought this VC10, but it's got this really weird quirk to it where it's, it's, it's constantly out of tune by exactly half a semitone and we ca you can't fix it or something. And um, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I bumped into him at a gig when he was playing here in Brighton, and, and I just said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize it was, it was out of tune like that. And um, just goes to show how good my tuning hearing is. But, um, <laughs> but, but imperfect, imperfect pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah nice okay we've got another one uh, uh let's have this one yeah this is from nick house uh, let's bring this one up yeah nick house how now that both arturia and korg have released vst versions of current production hardware i guess we're talking about the op 6 and obviously the mini freak what are, are the floodgates opening for more of the same? That's an interesting idea, actually. I, don't, mm. I, I, I mean, it makes sense in the way that all these manufacturers want to uh, get as much money out of the R&D as possible. So the amount of time, that the amount of money that, you know, uh, uh, Artoria will have put into the algorithms and the, the digital side of the code inside uh, the Mini Freak, the fact that they can now kind of reutilize that and sell it at obviously a much greater reduction, you know, 99 euros, I think it's currently, but it's going to be going up a little bit more than that. That's an interesting thought. I guess, Jamie, that's kind of, for you, it sort of is great because you can write patches for more than one thing at the same time but do you think this is going to be a more mm. of a thing i mean i can't see how it's not going to be personally it must they must be thinking about those too i hope so i hope so because it certainly makes things a lot easier when um you know the whole workflow is you you've got this physical controller uh but you can just quickly as a snapshot see your modulation routines um you know that uh, as we know we know that with with software editors but do it having it so it's got sound engine in as well um they've kind of taken it that step a little bit further than what roland had with their plug out technology um so uh, i think it's really really good there's there's some elements of like you know you've got to have a fairly fast machine but as, as long as you've got one of these new m1 m2 max then you know yeah you'll, you'll be happy i've noticed my fan i got one of the last imax the i9 and the fan just goes as soon as i've got the um um software just in standalone mode uh, but the integration has been really really good i've um i've not really had a it's things like modulation routing as i mentioned but things like the step sequences being able to see the sequence just makes it's just so much quicker um 
mm. and you know sort of balancing out sounds against each other and um you know naming patches that's my bugbear of naming patches on a synth one character at a time you know oh but, god but yeah and, ta- and, and, and tagging them and, and putting them in 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 the right categories and things yeah all of that yeah. stuff becomes a yeah. lot simpler yeah i can understand that I don't know. I it seems so, like yeah. an obvious. It's, yeah, it seems obvious, doesn't it? Really, because yeah. I suppose the thing is, is being able to make something. If you can emulate, if you're making something in hardware that has analogness to it, and then you can emulate that analog. Because I mean, I guess the main thing that's analog in the Mini Freak is, lit- well, there's two things: there's the VCA and the VCF. So if they can get good emulations of that, which, as we know, Artoria have sort of built their business on emulating yeah. analog circuitry, so that makes sense. I think for somebody like Dave Smith or Sequential um, uh, or, or, or Oberheim, it's a, it's a different story, and there will always be room for that. But it, I, I can imagine. I mean, it's the same in modular world, isn't it? because there's a lot of the uh, mutable yeah. stuff is available just in code yeah. doesn't have to have the hardware the FACO you know they're, they're all in there um, so yeah you can get all of that in VCV um, which is really interesting Instro yeah so I was surprised when I saw that I thought hang on a minute why, why are you doing that when you sell in the hardware version are you not does that not go against your business model but I think like Jamie and yourself have just made some valid points there about why some people may gravitate to that. Plus, that could be an entry point to them then buying the hardware version as well, which Probably might so. be the business model there as well. So, you know, I, I yeah. certainly open up things in VCV rack, give it a go in there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, it does what I want it to do. Now I'll go spend 350 quid on the hardware. Now I know it's exactly what I want it to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally, I can totally get that. Um, and and seeing that happen um i'm just trying to think like you know is this something we're going to see more and more of and uh, would we like to see yeah more i more wonder yeah i wonder you know, i don't know i think the thing is is what i find interesting is because the artoria thing i think 99 euros feels like a good price it's this is an intro price it's going to go the mini freak you know vst or au whatever it may be is going to be 199 euros when it's you know reaches its full price i i mean that to me seems a little high but i suppose then it might encourage you to buy the hardware more whereas i would have thought if you went cheaper on the emulation then you'd be more likely to go to the hardware because it would do much much you know you there would be a big differential i suppose i mean the having the hardware and be able to control i think it's an interesting strategy i don't know kind of where that that works. I mean, I'm sure they've looked into all of this stuff, and maybe it'll never reach 199 euros, or maybe it'll uh, it, it'll be on, mm. or maybe it will and it'll work. I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to be uh, specific about it, but it's a very interesting trend. Um, okay, well, I think I'm going to uh, call it a day just because um, we're getting more questions in, which is great, and we'll leave them in the system for next time. Um, but the YouTube commenting thing isn't working, and I need to uh, get to the bottom of that, um, which I hopefully will be able to do before the next show. But though, actually, uh, exciting news. We're going to Warsaw on Monday um, to see the people at uh, SOMA. Uh, they've got some uh, factory stuff. They want to show us a few things. It's going to be an interesting trip. Just literally going for the day. Never been to Poland. Never been to Warsaw. And then, um, so I don't know if I'll have a chance to fix the code because we'll be out of the country unless I can do it on the plane, which might be challenging. But uh, thank you, uh, Jamie. Thanks for joining us uh, this week. I look forward to um, more of your emom on February the tenth. Have you got any more videos in the, in the go? When? 
Um, no, no, nothing. That everyone that played at the last event is on there. Um, and then, like I said, there's going to be three different acts this time. So I'll be streaming again and chopping them all up. Well, not them, but the videos. And uh, they'll be there for everyone <laughs> to, to have a listen to. Excellent. Uh, that's great. I'm pleased to hear that. Um, and, um, of course, uh, the other thing to watch out for is uh, Jamie's patches and uh, the videos he does. And when's your next Emon monthly uh, streaming show, which is about Emon rather than... Because I, I, I wouldn't mind coming be, a, a space. It'll be the 12th, actually. Yeah, I, I do it a couple of days after. It's it's every second Friday of the month I do the Emon, and then the following Sunday is when it's the Emon okay. show like yeah yeah cool. it'd be great to have you that on. sounds yeah. great i'd love to love to come on okay and also thanks very much uh matt uh, it's great to have you i i'm really i love your background i think that looks really good actually i have to say it's a very uh slick and professional it, it, looking uh thing it, it, was certainly beats job. it looks great so what is it is it just a bunch of leds it's these it's these really cool lights yeah they're led like globe lights and then if you overlap them you get this pattern someone said it looks like the mbc logo um, or a, yeah. well, it, I tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of one of the one of those Mac desktop patterns that you used to get a couple of uh, uh, yeah, um, it does. A couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. oh, okay, just that's uh, really good. I like that. that a lot. Magic. Yeah, it actually, nice. it's coming out of my back. It, they're um, real emanating <laughs> things out of my back. They're not actual globes. Right. You've got wings. <laughs> I've got wings. <laughs> nice. So, Matt, what's um, going on for you next? Are you uh, are you streaming? I suppose your studio's probably not set up just quite yet. When are you, when are you back on up? When, when are you going to do some more reviews for us? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm sending you an email straight after this, Nick. Um, oh, cool. And tomorrow I'm doing a live stream with uh, the company behind this, Maya EMI. I don't know if anyone's seen my video on this already, um, but this is, this is not in production yet. This is their module version of the M900, which Nick's talked about on this show before. Brilliant synth. Uh, Touchscreen, multi-timbral, audio in, CV, MIDI, um, four-part multi-timbral, which you don't see in module. And uh, I did a video on this, and they're, they're really keen to get some feedback on this before it goes to market. So um, we've took on board all your suggestions and feedback from my video, and tomorrow night... I'm doing a live stream with the company. We're going to talk about those suggestions and see if they can implement them before it comes to market. So if you want to kind of be part of this journey of this module on its way to market, then do do join us. And I'm sure, Nick, when it comes out, we'll do a review for Sonic as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, do send, um, uh, send us over a link so we can uh, we can post that on the socials or, or wherever we can. Really? So, yeah, that would be great. Appreciate that. Nice Thank one. You. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, and that is it for this time. That's the button I want to press, I think, isn't it? Thanks, everybody. Thanks to people in the chatty. Sorry about the uh, the lack of link up, but we'll get that sorted out for next time or the time after, depending on uh, on, on, on coding availability. But that was Sonic Talk episode uh, 744. See you next time. Take care. Bye-bye now.